Well, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, the second chapter of the book of Proverbs, and we'll be looking at the first five verses there. A man by the name of Mel Fisher was born in Hobart, Indiana, in 1922. He was the son of a chicken farmer. He had an interest in deep sea diving, more specifically in finding treasure out in the sea. For 16 years, he led a crew to look for a particular treasure. And in 1985, he found it. It was an old Spanish ship. Now, you know that I'm a Spanish-speaking scholar, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this exactly right. The ship was called the Nuresta Siora de Atacoca, and that's exactly how you pronounce that. <laughs> that ship was 55 feet under the water just off the shores of Key West, Florida. When Mel's divers went down, they salvaged what was the equivalent of $450 million worth of treasure. That included 40 tons of gold and silver, 114,000 Spanish silver coins, emeralds, and 1,000 blocks of silver. None of this came easy. They toiled long and hard with metal detectors, diving to investigate every metallic hit, and finally Fisher's dreams and hard work eventually paid off when he hit it big. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been on our own little treasure hunt. Not for something that will fade and eventually give way in the worth of metal, like silver and gold. But the treasure of the fear of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 33 verse 6 says, The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. So we've been giving an overview over the last couple of weeks. I have a little a diagram there in your bulletin that I think provides a perspective that initially, when we think of the fear of the Lord, it's something that we dread. There is a terror that comes over us as we think about God's holiness and that we will one day have to give an account of our lives and our sin. And we are afraid of God's punishment of His wrath. But we also learn that Jesus has come to absorb that wrath and judgment and that if by faith we cling to Jesus, we can find refuge in Him because He has absorbed God's wrath. And then at that moment, the fear of the Lord takes on a different perspective. It's not something that we have to cower in fear and dread over. Rather, we can appreciate what Jesus has done for us. And we can move from that terror to that delight and reverence and appreciation. Last week, we spoke about how the, the, the person that is a Christian fears the Lord. Well, what I would like to do today 
is take some time with you to talk about what it looks like to cultivate this life of fearing the Lord. What does it look like to have a life that is preparing itself with true treasure, a treasure that will last beyond this life and on to the next? Sometimes when we read the book of Proverbs, we will see a phrase like this, if you do this, then you will experience this. And that's what we have here in these five verses in Proverbs 2. In fact, let me get to the then statement in verse 5. It says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So what I want to do first is let's read these verses and we'll consider the if. What leads up to an understanding of the fear of the Lord? Follow along with me, beginning in verse 1 of Proverbs 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What I want to invite you along with Solomon, the writer here of Proverbs, is to go on a treasure hunt here today not just of a a one-time pursuit, but would you contemplate with me what it would look like to have a life that is all about seeking the treasure of the fear of the Lord. So I want to give to you a few words that will help serve as an outline. The first word I want to give to you is a subtle one. It is the word covenant. Covenant. Sometimes Baptists have this reputation, perhaps it's deserved, that there's such an emphasis on rules and living out morality that we lose sight of the grace that Ginger sang about this morning. And when we look at this word, fear the Lord, have you noticed that each time we've read that, that the word Lord is in all capital letters? Have you ever asked yourself, what is the significance of this? That word Lord is the word Jehovah. And that word Jehovah is the word that is used to identify God as the covenant-keeping God. And when we use the word covenant, we're referring to that agreement. An agreement that God enters into with man. And if you just do a quick survey of the scriptures with me, you'll know that there are five primary covenants. The first we read about in in Genesis that speaks about the covenant that God made with Noah. The people on the earth were so wicked that God brought his judgment upon them, all of the people of the world except for Noah and his family. And then he entered into a promise, a covenant, that says, I will never flood the earth like this again. That was the first The second covenant was that between God and Abraham. 
in, in an act of bringing restoration or redemption to these sinful people, God took an old man that had never had any children, and he says, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you, an agreement that from you, you will have a large family, and I will give you land, the land of Canaan. The third covenant we see is between God and Moses, the Mosaic covenant and God's people, and it's this, that if you will obey the law that I've given to you, you'll receive blessings. If you disobey this law that I give to you, well, then you will receive curses. The fourth covenant that we see is between God and David. And God says to David, from your ancestry, from this point forward, you will always have an ancestor that will rule, not only in life, but throughout eternity. But all of these covenants are pointing to the new covenant, in which there will be one person that comes and not only spares the land from destruction, but spares the land from the consequences of sin. This will be the one that actually brings the redemption from the lineage of Abraham. He will actually fulfill the law because men and women, all they can do is break the law. And he will indeed be the king of kings, the Lord of lords from all eternity. It is Jesus. And in the Old Testament, some of these prophets spoke about this new covenant. And so I want you to look at a few of these verses. I have them there in your outline. Let me read to you a few verses. Jeremiah 24, verse 7, where God says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. You see, this new covenant speaks about God giving a new heart to his people. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 says, I will give you a new heart and and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and do them. How is it that we could receive this, this new covenant? Well, you probably remember when Jesus was there with his disciples and he was about ready to serve them the Lord's Supper for the very first time, he said this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. This new covenant is ushered in through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so as we begin to talk about how is it that we can cultivate a life of the fear of the Lord, we have to begin by realizing it is only possible through this new covenant. It is only possible by entering into this agreement of which God takes all the responsibility by repenting of our sins and believing in what Jesus has done for us. And it is out of this new heart, this spirit that he has put within us, that we are capable of having a life That is cultivating the fear of the Lord. It is all grace. The second thing we see here in this passage, it's found in the first two verses, it's Scripture. And there is this four 
bold repetition that we see here in verses 1 and 2. Allow me to accentuate the verbs. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. You get the point that if one wants to cultivate a life of the fear of the Lord, there is this immersing themselves in the Scriptures. This word receive means to grasp, take, acquire. It's the idea of putting out the welcome mat to receive what the Scriptures say to us, to eliminate the distractions. It's to deliberately sit at the feet of Jesus, as James put it, to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. In verse 1, it says to treasure up. The idea is to store up, to lodge, to save for later. Many of you in this room have grown up, and some of you still do this today. At the end of the summer, during the harvest time, you go out into your garden, and you grab the tomatoes, the green beans, or, or whatever from there, that harvest, and you can it. Because there is more food at that moment than you can possibly eat. But what you do is you store it up for a time that you can use it. Those of you who go hunting for deer do the same thing. If the Lord allows you to harvest the deer, you cut that deer up and you can't eat all of it at that time, so you freeze it and you save it for another time in which you will need it. It says here in verse 2, making your ear attentive. What is that word attentive? I'm just going to grab a thing of water quick. The idea here is not just to read, but to have this idea of taking the word and be focused on it. Maybe another illustration could be helpful here. On Thanksgiving Day, some of us go to the store and get a newspaper. And we look for the Black Friday ads. And it is there where we are attentive. What we are doing is we are not looking to gather information. We are looking for application. Where we're looking for, to see what's on sale with the idea of acting on that information. And that's exactly what we see here in 2. You, you'll notice that it's not just filling your ear or your mind, but the second part of verse 2 also talks about inclining your heart. Not just filling the mind but also filling the heart. And so if you want to cultivate a life that fears the Lord, you will be immersed in the Scriptures. Let me just give you a few illustrations of this, and I'm just going to use them right from the Scriptures. Largely the book of Deuteronomy. Keep your finger here and turn with me to the left, to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. We're going to see how the Lord used His Word to bring about the fear of the Lord. The first word I have here is the word king's criteria. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, 
It says, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers. You shall set his king over you. You shall not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So look at the criteria. I'm going to skip down to verse 18. And when he, that's the king, when he sits on the throne in his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God, uh, keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Do you see it there? That when you are looking for a king, Israelites, Here's what I want you to look for. One of those qualifications is a man that actually takes the law, the the scriptures. And because the Gutenberg press had not been invented yet, and there wasn't a copy machine, it'd be one that literally writes and copies the word of the Lord. So he'd become so familiar word for word with the scriptures. What would that do? It would lead to a fear of the Lord. Let me show you another passage here in Deuteronomy 6. Go to your left. Same sort of thing where we see a relationship between hearing and obeying the Scriptures and the fear of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 and 2. Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all the statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Do you see it there? You are to take these statues and rules and and you are to be commanded to teach them that you might acquire the fear of the Lord. Now we could read from verses 6 through 13 and we'd see the same pattern. It was the responsibility not only of the adults, but it was also the responsibility of these adults that were parents to teach their children the fear of the Lord. And how would they do that? By reading and applying the Scriptures. Have you ever thought about that? That parents can teach their children things to fear? Sometimes we do that, don't we? Uh, Years ago, we were on vacation. We don't live necessarily in a subdivision. So we were in town, and our, our kids were crossing the street, and they didn't look to the left or right. They just dashed across that street. And we put a fear of the Lord, or rather, we put a fear... We put a fear of cars into them. You have to understand that these cars can, can hit you and kill you. You have to be aware of that. But when we were in the Grand Canyon and we were stepping out on the lookout, and we looked like a mile below us, we wanted to have a fear, a healthy fear of those heights. 
When we were in North Dakota last summer and a, and a bison walked right through our campsite, we wanted for them to have a, a healthy fear. We can pass on a fear to our children. Christian parents are to pass on a fear of the Lord. So there's this parent's prescription. Look with me at Deuteronomy 31, where this hearing leads to fearing. Deuteronomy 31. Now I realize that these words are written to the Jews, but what I'm reading these for for us today is I think there are principles that relate to us today as Gentiles. Deuteronomy 31, the first three verses. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and as he said to them, I am 120 years old today, and I'm no longer able to get out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. Speeding ahead now to verse 9. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priest, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of seven years, at the set time, and the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Verse 12, assemble the people, men and women and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear... And learn to fear the Lord, your God, and be careful to do all of the words of this law. Are you seeing this pattern? If we really want to cultivate a a fear of the Lord in our life, then the Word of God is inseparable in that pursuit. John Bunyan, who is known for writing the book Pilgrim's Progress, also wrote a book called The Fear of the Lord, And listen to these words that are in your outline. He said this, For as a man drinketh good doctrine into his soul, so he feareth God. If he drinks in much, he feareth him greatly. If he drink in but a little, he feareth him but a little. And if he drinketh him not at all, he feareth him not at all. In other words, you have as much Fear the Lord right now as you want. The way you can increase your fear of the Lord is an exposure. Not a cursory, not just a a reading a verse per day, but a saturation of your life in Scripture. And there's a direct correlation to your exposure and to your fear of the Lord. Now let me just share a word here because I'm guessing that there are more than a few that don't like to read. How many, how many would say that you don't like to read? All right, I see those hands. And I don't come to you this morning trying to beat you up or, or trying to provide some persuasive arguments as to why you should. Here's what I learned as I've watched my wife teach our boys is we will read what we are most interested in. You know something, 
My boys, I think to a person, almost all of them would say they don't like to read. But something happened. They went to the library and they brought back a stack of these Garfield comic books. And it's not unusual for me right now to walk into the living room and see a few of them with those Garfield comic books on their laps. And you know what? I'm grateful. They're reading. And so what I would say to you is if you really want to cultivate a life of fearing the Lord and the only way to do that is is to have intake of Scripture, then how about between you and the Lord? You say, God, would you do a work in my heart? You know that I don't like reading. But I do like you, and I love you, and I want to pursue you with all my life. Would you do a work in me and help me to overcome this hatred of reading? And do you think the Lord would answer that prayer? I do. If the real treasure of our life is fearing the Lord, then in order to fear the Lord, we have to expose ourselves store it up in our hearts by meditating on it, memorizing it, studying it, hearing it, and applying it. I believe the Lord would help you with that, that very prayer. So the first thing we saw is if we want to cultivate a life of fearing the Lord, we need to realize the covenant that we are in, that the Lord will work this grace out in our life because we have a new heart and we have the Holy Spirit. The second thing we learned is we have to be exposed to the Scripture. The third thing we see in this passage here in Proverbs 2 is found in verse 3, and that's what I'm just calling a calling or a calling out. He says in verse 3, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. This word calling out, this idea of an earnest passion, a plea. It, It says there in the second part to raise your voice. What is it that we should pray? Well, I always think there's value in praying Scripture. In Psalm 86, verse 11, it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And listen to this. Unite my heart to fear your name. Does anyone ever get distracted? Does anyone ever get distracted when you pray? And I think that when I'm praying, if I were to pray for 10 straight minutes, I could not count the trails where my mind would, would go down. And so there's this wonderful, insightful prayer that we see in the second part of Psalm 86.11. Unite my heart to fear your name. One pastor named Pastor Pritchard paraphrased it this way. See if you can identify Put me together, Lord, because right now my life is scattered in a thousand directions. Anyone identify with that? If we want to have a life that is cultivating a fear of the Lord, it's not only intake of Scripture, but there is this ongoing prayer that says, I desire to revere you, respect you, delight in you. I want to be aware of your presence At every moment of my life, you know this, don't you? That there's something like the ministry of presence. Our children, there are certain things they would never do if their mom or dad were in the room. But when they're gone, 
they'll do those things. A week or two ago, I went home on a, a Wednesday for lunch. Melody and the boys were at school. I went home to check on Hank. That's our loyal golden retriever. And Hank is a very compliant dog when I'm around. And when I opened the door, he had his two front legs up on the dinner table, and he was looking at some food up there. And when I, when I shut the door and he looked at me, he quickly cowered off to the corner, and he knew he never should be in that place. I suppose we could say about business trips. There's some of you that if your spouse were with you on that business trip, the temptation wouldn't be nearly as strong to go to a certain place, to talk a certain way, to to look at certain things, if your spouse were present with you. But what the fear of the Lord is, is to be continually aware of His presence and to appreciate that. Not feel like you can't get away with anything, but to light in His companionship and may I say, even his friendship. But we are to pray, unite my heart to to fear your name because our hearts roam and they wander. As the hymn writer said, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I want to remind you of that covenant. Listen to what Jeremiah 32 verse 39 says as a part of that new covenant. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. He has given to us a unified heart. Now we just need to continually pray that it would be unified. It would not be scattered. Man, the Bible gets us, doesn't it? So if we want to have a life that's cultivating the fear of the Lord, it comes by entering into a covenant. It comes by ongoing exposure to the Scriptures, by calling out to Him, and then finally, undergoing some tests. Look at what it says here in verse 4. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Mel Fisher, at the beginning of our message today, was in a pursuit of this treasure for how long, congregation? Do you remember? 16 years. Silver during this time was actually more rare and more precious than gold. And if one is going to seek after this silver or this hidden treasure that we see in verse 4, it's not going to come by just going out on weekends and only being exposed on occasion. But it's an early morning. It's a late night. It's an ongoing pursuit, a time when you don't find anything, but you're continually digging, you're continually searching, and eventually discovering the treasure living on the treasure of the fear of the Lord. So don't get discouraged. The things that we're talking about this morning are not something that you can just flip the switch and all of a sudden you'll arrive at a life that is cultivating the fear of the Lord. Perhaps it'd be more like this. Let's say today you thought you were coming to church, 
but actually you've come for a marathon training. And within six months, you will be running a marathon. Well, you wouldn't expect tomorrow to run 16 miles, would you? Tomorrow you would just get off the couch and you would start walking or you would do something. Well, what we're talking about here, if you want to cultivate a fear of the Lord, is just by, by moving the needle one step at a time. If you were to swim from St. Agnes to Mackinac Island over five miles, you wouldn't just go out one day and say, let's do it. It would take a while for you to build up to it. So give yourself some grace. Have a life of obeying and hearing and reading and studying and meditating and memorizing the Scripture. A life of continually crying out. And as you are doing that, tests will come. Let me give you a few tests that we see in the Scriptures here that will test the fear of the Lord. Once again, we're in Deuteronomy. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'm calling it the test of the tithe, the test of the tithe. Now, I don't speak about money very often. I, I, if the scriptures, as I'm going through it, will we'll speak about money, I, I, I'll, I'll speak about it. But as we look to the scriptures, what we see is that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, Psalm 24, verse 1, that everything belongs to God. That every cent in your savings account, every cent on that, on the tray there of your dash belongs to the Lord. And here's this wonderful truth that He allows us to keep 90% of it. Listen to what it says here in Deuteronomy 14. As God is speaking to the Israelites, He says, Deuteronomy 14, verse 22, you shall tithe. All the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and of the firstborn of your herd and flock, listen, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always." Tithing, giving 10%, as we see here in the Old Testament, is an act of faith. It's an act of trust. Yes, we know that it all belongs to God. But boy, what could I do with that 10%? There's a lot I could do with that. So God would test his own there in Israel and say, let me see if they truly do fear me. Respect me, revere me in this covenant relationship. I'm going to ask for them to tithe. And those who tithe, he said, you passed the test. Now there's question today, is that still binding to us in the New Testament? Well, I think there's evidence there in, in what Jesus said. You have those verses there, Luke 11:42, that says, yeah, you, you should tithe. But we are to, to give back to what the Lord gives to us. And there are times that God would ask us to give above and beyond that tithe. I'm speaking of myself here in the last week or so. I sense the Lord just give me an impression to give towards some missionary. I had some money over here that wasn't accounted for. 
And I was thinking, what could I do with that? And I sensed the Lord was saying, you ought to give that to a missionary. And I'm just being honest. I thought, well, maybe that's just a feeling. And, and, and if I wait a little bit longer, maybe that feeling will go away. And if I really feared the Lord, it wouldn't take me a week to obey that. As soon as I was clear that this is what the Lord was leading me to do, I would, I would do it. And it took me a little longer than it should have to prove that I feared the Lord. I'll give you another test that we see here in the Scriptures. It's not only the test of tithe, but there's this test of worship. I will end with this. I'm looking at the threads throughout the Scriptures of times where people feared the Lord. And I want you to look at Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. We can be in the Word. We can be in prayer. But there are times in our life where the Lord will test us. Not for His benefit. He knows our hearts. But for our own benefits to see do we really, do we really fear Him. I mentioned this covenant with Abraham a little earlier in the message. In Genesis chapter 22, this is where he has his son, Isaac, the fulfillment, this son that was miraculously given to Abraham and his wife. And now we see something remarkable take place in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son and your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So he is being asked to take his own son and to sacrifice him. And so we'll find out if he's willing to do that. Again, skipping ahead to verse 7. It says, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, Here I am. My son, he said, Behold the fire and there's the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound, and Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Verse 12, he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you would have not withheld your son, your only son from me. One of the things that we see throughout this theme of fearing the Lord is to have Him as the most important in our life. And I would ask you, is there something more important to you than God? Is there a treasuring of a sin, your family, a possession, a hobby, a comfort, security, a peace, your reputation? There are times that God will test us to see if we will willing to lay that down on the altar and thereby prove 
that we are willing and within us is this fear, this respect, this reverence, this delighting in him. Let me just close with this. There was a London music student named Richard Steele. And he prized this old violin that had once been given to him by his grandfather. One day, Richard tried to help a bus driver who couldn't get close to the curb because of a barrier. Putting aside his old violin, he removed the obstacle. But then the driver, unable to see the books and the violin, drove over them. The crushed books could be replaced, and the old violin, though valued for sentimental reasons, could be replaced too, or could it? As Richard examined his splintered instrument, inside he found the signature of Stradivarius, the greatest of all violin makers. The old violin was a priceless and replaceable masterpiece. The auction firm estimated that it had been worth more than $700,000. Many neglect the treasure of the fear of the Lord as this student neglected this old violin. Scriptures go unread and promises unclaimed. Prayers are not offered. Tests are misunderstood or failed. You see, the fear of the Lord is not an out-of-date relic. Rather, the fear of the Lord is a treasure that will yield to eternal blessings. Take it up. Cultivate a life of pursuing the fear of the Lord. Shall we pray together? As the music team comes, Have you received and have you entered into this promise, this covenant that is available to you, that Jesus has shed his blood and has made forgiveness possible to you? What is keeping you from doing that? Call out to him to be saved. And as you examine your life under these scriptures, can it be said of you that you are treasuring the scripture? Is it truly the priority of your life? His grace is available to apply the grace to reading the Scriptures, to understanding the Scriptures, to memorizing and meditating on the Scriptures. Call out for that. Are there some changes that need to be made? And How about uniting my heart to fear you? Is that, are you like me, and that just needs to be an ongoing prayer for us? And I wonder what sort of test what sort of tests are ahead of you or right, right now you are experiencing? Prove your respect and your fear for the Lord by choosing Him and forsaking anything else. Father, we thank You for the passage of Scripture that we saw today that speaks about how we can have a, a life that cultivates a fear of the Lord. By Your grace, may we apply this having an ongoing awareness that you are with us, abiding in Jesus, filled with your Spirit. And may there be a joy that is characterized by our life. May the world see our good works and glorify you as a result of it. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.